Hey, Forge family. In our last podcast, in the book of the prophet Joel, the prophet had begun to deliver the word of the Lord to Judah in the immediate aftermath of a locust plague that stripped the land of all crops, vines, and trees, Joel cries out for the nation to mourn before the Lord. He named drunkards, farmers, vine dressers, and priests. The impact of the plague had removed the grain, the wine, and the olive oil from the land and from the daily burnt offerings in the temple. That was a symbol of the break in the covenant with the Lord. All worship had stopped. That plague had had repeated waves. A female locust laying her eggs in a patch of damp sand in October can produce 18 million locusts over the next four months. The result in Judah was like scorched earth. People and animals were being pushed towards starvation. This was the result of Judah being out of compliance with the Lord, and he sent the locusts as he had promised to do in Deuteronomy 28. In further study this week, I found a reference to the practices of the Neo-Assyrian armies when they besieged a city. They swept up all the available harvests, stripped every tree of fruit, leaves, and bark, destroyed any irrigation systems, and devastated the economy of the region. It would take 20 years for new trees to regrow to original fruitfulness, and the fertility level amongst the besieged people groups would plummet. That example speaks of what the locust invasion did to Judah. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, that the covenant of the law was fulfilled in the death and resurrection of Jesus. We're so grateful that we do not have to strive for your attention or favor. As sons and daughters, we would learn your ways and obey your word. Thank you for the grace that leads to peace with you, the provider. Now, Lord, in our own plague season, we need to turn to you to listen and learn what you have next. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, let's turn in your Bibles to the Joel text of chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. Quote, Gird yourselves with sackcloth and lament, O priests. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, for the grain offering and the libation are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast. Proclaim a solemn assembly. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God. The implications of these two verses are that the priests themselves had been slack in their keeping of covenant. Yes, they were to stand before the people, but as we saw in our study of Samuel, his sons were priests who violated the law regularly. Here, Joel cries out for the priests to put on the equivalent of burlap boxers and then to... Lament before the Lord. He cries out for all the ministers of the altar, even those Levites in the background and the other temple servants, to wail, to cry out to God for help. They are to lay before the Lord all night in black sackcloth, in a vigil of grieving, of priestly repentance, 
and to prepare for national repentance. Joel was calling the priests to intercede for the people and the land. The priestly dignity had been taken down from wearing cool white linen to wearing black, itchy goat's hair garments. All that because of the stoppage of the offerings at the altar. And the text implies it was the people of Judah who, out of desperation and fear, were holding back the last of the grain, the oil, and the wine for themselves. Hence the word withheld. Judah had stopped worshiping and trusting in God. The priests and other ministers in the temple, having repented for themselves and having set the stage for the repentance of the nation, are now instructed to reach out to the people. Verse 14 says, Consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God, and cry out to the Lord. There are four critical spiritual elements here in the directions of, of God sent through Joel. The priests mourning and vigil is not enough. They're to call for a national fast to prompt true repentance among the people. Such a national fast was extraordinary in Israel, previously only recorded in Nehemiah 9 and Jeremiah 36. The priests were to set apart a day, or however long it took, as holy to the Lord for fasting, leading to repentance. Second, the priests were to call for a national assembly that was holy to the Lord. It was to be a solemn assembly on which no labor was allowed, like on the Sabbath. Third, the elders and all the people of Judah were to be summoned to the fast and the solemn assembly in the house of the Lord their God, in, 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 the, in the temple complex. Okay, Such an assembly happened at the completion of Solomon's temple. Lastly, the people were to cry out to the Lord as Savior in this situation. Here, the assembly was a way to summon the nation to a deep cry of repentance, lest a greater judgment be released on them. Dwayne Garrett has a word for us of evangelical faith. Quote, We need to remember that liturgy is not necessarily artificial, for not all spirituality is private, and that repentance can be and often should be accompanied with outward signs of sorrow. Unquote. Joel follows with the reasons for the need for that cry to the Lord and national repentance. Verse 15 points to the cause of the plague. Alas for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Both Jeremiah and Isaiah use that cry. Alas! Here, Joel saw that Yahweh, God of Israel, had sent the plague of locusts. Here, Joel saw the day of the Lord for the first time. As we studied in Zechariah, the first day, the first part of the day of the Lord is the disciplining and the cleansing of Israel, moving them to purity before the Lord. In the passing of the locusts, 
Joel is convinced that there is a further judgment coming. If you recall how we are to view Old Testament prophecy, it is set in an image of standing on a high point and looking across the land toward a far distant horizon. Between where you stand on that mountaintop and the horizon are many mountains and ridgetops stretching out a great distance and highlighted so you can see them all. When Old Testament prophets delivered the word of the Lord, they were required to give a short-term prophecy and a long-term prophecy. So in the fulfillment of the short-term time, the people would know that certainly that word of the Lord set far in the distance was also true. So as you look at the ridgetops laid out in front of you, the nearest ones would be the short-term fulfillments. The far distant mountains and ridges speak of what is yet to be fulfilled. So as Joel looks at the locusts now identified as coming from the Lord, knowing, now, now we, are, we are supposed to know that when he says, alas for the day, he's pointing to another ridgetop, which to him feels like it's already to be fulfilled at any moment. In the phrase, it will come like destruction from the Almighty. There's a wordplay. Shad means destruction. And Shaddai speaks of one who is Almighty. In the case of Judah, El Shaddai could still be the one who brings further destruction on Judah if they do not repent and would bring further judgment on the Gentile nations who hate him and his people, Israel. The prophets spoke of the day of, of the Lord as near, as in, you can see it from the mountaintop. And relative to eternity, it is near. For Joel and Judah, the locust plague was a dire warning that the day of the Lord was near. Joel cries out further reminders that the state of the people is awful, as is their walk with God. Verses 16 to 18 say, Has not food been cut off before your eyes? Gladness and joy from the house of our God? The seeds shrivel under their clods. The storehouses are desolate. The barns are torn down, for the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan! The herds of cattle wander aimlessly because there's no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. Unquote. Joel is saying, don't you see it? No food for hungry mouths and no shouts of gladness and joy from the mouths of Judah in worship in the temple? First, wine was cut off from the drunkards, then offerings from the temple, then gladness and joy, and now food from all the people and animals of Judah. With the locusts came a blazing hot spring and summer. A drought amplified the suffering. A drought sent by Yahweh. Seed desperately sown in hope of rain had shriveled and desiccated underneath the clods and not germinated. The granaries had been dismantled in a search for every last kernel of grain and storage from last year. Joel speaks of barns, but not in any fashion we in the West would identify. Those would have been rock and earthen walls topped with poles. 
and thatch or palm leaves in which hay or livestock, hay for, li- for livestock was stored. They too would have been broken down to get at the last bits of nourishment for the animals. Having noted grief among farmers, vine dressers, priests, and temple ministers, Joel now notes the groans from the livestock with no pasture and no supplemental hay. The sheep flocks eat plants right down to the ground, to the top of the roots of the grass and the forage. With the drought, none of that is left for the sheep. Even the roots are dried and dead. The text literally says that the sheep bear punishment. Chapter 1 concludes with a personal cry from the prophet, followed by a further description of the effects of the drought. To thee, O Lord, I cry. For fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and the flame has burned up all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field pant for thee, for the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. Now, Joel is a man of prayer, a man who knows how to humbly address Yahweh directly. His cry is personal. And he addressed Yahweh only. He did not appeal to Baal or Tammuz, the fertility gods who bring rain, and the Canaanite pantheon. The Hebrew worldview saw God's provision for mankind and the animal world. Yahweh was Lord of creation. Yahweh alone can restore the land of milk and honey. When Joel shifts here in the text. It's, it's because of the death for desperate state of the beasts of the field. Twice in those two verses, Joel speaks of devoured pastures in the wilderness. It's a, it's a way Hebrews add, Hebrew adds tremendous emphasis. Okay, the first is a description. The second is a hammer blow. The flocks and herds would have been seasonally driven into the Judean wilderness for spring and early summer grazing. Then it worked. Now there's nothing. The wilderness portions of Judah are at a lower elevation and sweep south toward the Negev Desert. To the herdsmen, when the wilderness dries up, the only hope is to drive their herds back to higher elevation on the crest of Israel's landmass and the hope of any dew or mist to help plants grow in cracks and and in the shade of wadis into the teeth of the fierce heat and drought. Even the wild animals pant. All their water sources have dried out so that they pant for the Lord. If the wild animals are desperate, even more so are the people of Judah. Forge family, in the last 50 years, Drought and starvation have stalked the peoples of the Horn of Africa, Ethiopia, Sudan, and Kenya over and over. I recall global resources being mustered and deployed, wells dug, field kitchens produced meals, 50-gallon drums of protein powder and electrolytes were delivered to refugee camps, which had no water with which to mix up a life-giving slurry 
and field clinics desperately tried to care for the elderly and the infants that were dying along the paths that led toward the clinics and the camps. It was horrendous. The best intent of the global community fell far short. In Joel's day, there were no such resources. Only God. Now recall that Abraham and Sarai left the promised land and went down to Egypt to get away from a drought in Canaan. Isaac sowed grain in a drought season and reaped a great harvest against all odds. Jacob went down to Goshen during the seven-year drought that Joseph interpreted from Pharaoh's dream. Moses led Israel across the Red Sea, heading down the Sinai Peninsula when the people began to cry out for water in a searing desert. The Lord instructed Moses to strike a specific rock and outpoured enough water for the two million of Israel and all their livestock. In the account of Elijah, after he declared to Ahab that a three-year drought was coming as judgment, he fled to a cave on the brook Kareth. There the Lord fed him morning and night with meat and bread delivered by ravens. Now that's a miracle right there. <laughs> and when, the, when the, the brook dried up in the drought, the Lord sent Elijah out of the land to Sidon on the south coast of Lebanon. In all these events, where there is a drought or desperation, <clears throat> the Lord acts abundantly and redemptively to those who honor him. My wife and I have cried out in God-only desperation for the Lord to the Lord for our sons, who each in their turn had a health crisis. We've seen his answers and walked gratefully in his response as a family. Each of you have your own stories that galvanize faith in this day. None of us have experienced the locust swarms and drought that brought decimation of life. Learn the lessons of crying up to God privately and publicly. The Lord is equipping us for what is coming. Let's pray. Lord, you keep your promises. We stand before you needing provision and protection in these plague months. Thank you for caring for us and using us to care for others. Please equip us with new weapons of warfare for the season that is coming. One, we know not. We don't know it yet. But our weapons are to be tested now and so that we'll be ready to stand for what you bring. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Forge, be blessed. You're loved. We'll see you soon. Thank you.